0: When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner.
1: But it's okay, you can take a look out from under the duvet. The storm has passed. There's not a trampoline, nor a set of swings, nor goalposts that weren't tied down still standing. Storm Isha has left thousands and thousands of homes and businesses without power here in the Midlands. We hope to update you very, very soon. But the big story on the front of all the newspapers today is not Storm Isha, but it's Ian Bailey, a man who dropped dead in Bantry yesterday, suspected cardiac arrest. He had a history of heart problems by all accounts. But it's Not his death, but that of Sophie Toscan de Plantier more than 20 years ago and whether or not he was responsible for her murder. That's what's gripping the headlines because when somebody dies, then they can't sue for defamation and information which was perhaps known by the dogs on the streets uh, but could never be published. That's lifted. That restriction goes away. So you read for instance Sennon Maloney in the Irish Independent describing how he met Ian Bailey not long after Sophie had been murdered and immediately he was suspicious and Sennon went to the UK he went to look up Mr Bailey's background he discovered how he was obsessed with the case of Fred and Rosemary West how he had a history of violence against his first wife. And later, of course, we've heard how he had a history of violence against uh, his subsequent partner. So Senna Maloney, as a journalist, says he is convinced, absolutely convinced, that Ian Bailey was responsible for the murder of Sophie Toscan de Plantier. But for her family, they're now concerned they will never get justice. And that is the top story on the Irish Independent today. We'll never have justice now. A quote from Sophie's uncle Tell the world I didn't kill Sophie. That's the headline on the Irish Daily Star. It was the last interview he ever gave. And he seemed to absolutely stick to his story to the very, very end. Whether he knew the end was coming or not, who knows? Then to the Irish Times. State urged to allay fears about migrants. So the Department of Integration some time ago realised there was unrest brewing and it asked an expert group to examine what learnings could be gleaned from previous cases. And one of the obvious ones was that the state should collaborate more, that there should be more time for communities to uh, be engaged and to contribute and to have a say in the debate. But it also says the state should do more to allay the fears of uh, communities, that there is a need to be more robust in calling out behaviour, which amounts to racism, and that there are no unvetted males coming to Ireland as international protection applicants are fingerprinted, photographed, and other details about them are investigated as part of the asylum process. It also says 13,500 asylum applicants came to Ireland last year, and when you consider the total population, the case is made that it's not a very big number. Of course, that omits many from Ukraine who would not be classed as international protection applicants, just for the record. Anyway, that's a selection of what's on the front pages today. If you were in the United States, the conversation would very much be about Donald Trump this morning because the race is becoming clearer and clearer for the Republican Party nomination for the White House. Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who at one time was considered the man to defeat Trump, he suffered a devastating 30 percentage point loss to Mr. Trump in Iowa and has decided he's going to throw in the towel. He says he and his wife prayed and deliberated on the way forward. And so Mr. Trump now has his endorsement because he says we cannot go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear. That leaves just Nikki Haley as the only real rival to Donald Trump for the Republican nomination, and she has turned up the heat on his age and talked about some gaffes that he has made, some senior moments, when he was not recalling accurately things he had done in the past for instance suggesting that he had had gone into a campaign against Obama well in fact it was Hillary Clinton but if you're of that way of thinking Joe Biden has certainly deteriorated over the last few years as well and maybe that's the real dilemma for Americans is the choice is pretty limited between the two candidates back here at home If you have no access to cash, and let's face it, there are still many people who want to transact their business with cash, as opposed to credit cards, debit cards, tap your phone, and so on. So new legislation will require the banks to have a minimum number of ATM machines. And at the moment, the Midlands is one of the regions with the lowest penetration of ATMs at just 75 machines per 100,000 people. So, this part of the country may be the main beneficiary then when this bill is enacted. The Finance Minister, Michael McGrath, is bringing forward what's called an access to cash memo. Now, gore thee are often ridiculed and often uh, pointed at for not being, um, shall we say, humane in their approach. You know, the sort of gartha who hides behind the hedge with a hairdryer, shooting fish in a barrel when it comes to motoring offences. But, you know, there are an awful lot of good people in the force. And when there are good people in the force, we should recognise them. Such as, for instance, the gartha who during the pandemic realised there was an elderly man in his area who could not get around because he had no bicycle. And so the Garda went to the local station. There was a bike in it, which was unclaimed and unclaimed for some time. And he gave the bike to that elderly man. And this happened here in the Midlands, by the way. But the National Bureau of Criminal Investigation subsequently raided the home of the Gartha, who otherwise had an exemplary career, and it also came to the home of the man who received the bike. The officer was suspended for three years, and in the end he was cleared. There was no criminal case against him. But he still faces a disciplinary and he could be again suspended, he could be sanctioned, he could in theory be fired for giving this bike to an old man during the pandemic. Now, it says in the Irish Independent, the Gartha has significant support from his peers over the matter. But clearly, management have a different idea. All right, let's move on. Mercus Technologies is a company that was founded in Athlone, oh, just over a decade ago, and it involves Jeff Allen and also Dermot Condren. Dermot once worked here at Midlands One O Three, and initially they set up the two of them with a company called Making Media Mobile, and then they evolved into other forms of software development, and they took a huge interest in virtual reality, and so now. Their company, Mercus Technologies, employs more than 20 staff and was featured in the Sunday Times yesterday because they have developed a virtual reality platform of training. And it is called Avatar Academy and it replicates real world scenarios with needle sharp precision. And it's going to, they hope, uh, be subscribed to not just here in Ireland, but companies all over the world. May avail of this VR training. So exciting times for Mercus Technologies in Athlone, and well done to the crew, to all of them. Road deaths, unfortunately, we're off to a very, very sad start in 2024, and County Kildare has already equaled its total for all of 2023, which is a very ignominious record to have achieved. And it's not alone. There are other counties who have racked up a significant number of road deaths in what are we now, just over three weeks into the new year. Junior Transport Minister Jack Chambers is vowing in the Irish Independent to introduce a crackdown on learner permit holders. That seems to be one of his targets. You might suggest speeding, you might suggest there are other things that should be examined. But one way or the other, change is coming. I think the start of this year has been a catalyst. We cannot ignore whatever is the cause um, because clearly the trend needs to reverse. One other trend, though, that hopefully won't reverse anytime soon is falling electricity prices. Uno you know Energy, which already this month announced a price cut, has just come out with another one. So if you are a customer of Uno you know Energy, you can enjoy kilowatt hour rates as low as 27 cents down from its previous rate of 29 cent. And these will be fixed for 12 months, no matter what happens in the wholesale market. So if you've been delaying and saying, oh, I must look around, I must shop around, just do it now. Go on to a price comparison website and check out what offers are available because they are starting to heat up um, and they're competing, you know in particular, to try and grow its market share as the new kid on the block. And the final story for you today, Dancing with the Stars. Rory Cowan, the first to exit the 2024 season. Which perhaps isn't surprising in that he was certainly on the first week a little bit rigid. Second week improved, but third week out. And (laughs) Brian Redmond is always so scathing. So The judge said, it's like a cocktail on holidays, sweet and colourful, but too much and you would get a headache. So Rory is out. And it's a little bit surprising because usually the weakest person is also one of the more popular people. We like the underdog. But for whatever reason, the public didn't get behind Rory. And so he and Gillian, out. And it was between him and Davy Russell. And Davy actually scored lower last night. 12 as opposed to Rory's 13. Eileen Dunn, still very much in there, scoring 17. She's not going to be in the final mix, you would think, but she survives to fight another week anyway. If you're travelling from Ballinagar to Tullamore, Caller says the road is now passable again. The tree that had fallen has been moved to the side. Caution is still needed, however. A bit of it is jutting out, so... Beware if you're travelling in that direction. And if you encounter any fallen trees, anything that other road users should be aware of, whenever it's safe to do so, please send me a text and we'll alert people. 083 30 10 103 on text and WhatsApp, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. In the next 15 minutes, the chances of dying in a road crash very much depends on where you live. But if you are in Scandinavia, the odds are much lower than if you live here in Ireland. They have managed to tackle the road fatality trend, which we are still trying to get our heads around, not by enforcement, but by other means, including road design. More on that at around a quarter to ten. Next, Ian Bailey. Did he do it?
0: The name you trust. With the news you need. Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Midlands 103.
1: Let me read from Senna Maloney's piece in The Irish Independent today. And the headline says, I was the first to interview Ian Bailey in 1997. I never had any doubt that he killed Sophie Tuscan de Plantier. If you haven't been following the news agenda the last 24 hours, Mr. Bailey collapsed on the street in Bantry and subsequently died, uh, presumably of a heart attack. He had a number of them in recent years. But Sennon writes, Ian Bailey had form. He repeatedly attacked his partner, Jules Thomas. And I went to England where he had left some years previously and had painted a picture of a man already wanted by the Avon and Somerset police in relation to claims of a forged life insurance policy in the name of his wife, from whom he was subsequently acrimoniously divorced amid allegations of violence and threats. After all, why did Ian Bailey come to Ireland in the first place, taking work as a fish gutter, having worked previously as a journalist? He also says that it is admitted in the witness statements of both Ian Bailey and his partner Jules Thomas that he left their house after midnight on the night of Sophie's murder, claiming he needed to go to an outhouse to write an article for the Sunday Tribune. But this was a Sunday night, so there wasn't any rush on that story. He had severe scratches on his hands and his arms. The killer of Sophie had chased her through brambles. She had also kept a little red hatchet by her door which was missing and investigators theorised she had used it to hit Bailey before fleeing. It was always a sexual motive by a local man who knew her and I told Bailey as much when he asked for my opinion as to why somebody would have done it and I said to him look at the crime signature overkill Her skull crushed with a rock and a block. That's not premeditated. That's a rage killing. How many houses on this peninsula? Four hundred. Half of them are holiday homes. Empty in December, that leaves two hundred. How many of those are retirement places? Take out another hundred. And Sennon concludes by saying, Mr. Bailey was a tall, powerful man and you're looking for a man in the prime of his powers, aged twenty-five to forty how many of those were around. It was 100% a local killer. The house was hard to find. Now, that in itself may not be conclusive. The reality is, for one reason or another, the Director of Public Prosecutions here never moved against Ian Bailey. The authorities in France did, and he was tried and subsequently convicted in absentia. Pat Murray is a former detective and indeed investigated a number of high-profile crimes here in Ireland and now works as a private investigator. Pat, good morning.
2: Good morning, uh, Will, and Happy New Year to you.
1: Indeed, many happy returns. When somebody has died, I should stress, the rules around defamation no longer apply and I think that's why perhaps Senna Maloney and others are freer than they would have been to offer their opinions. But how do you assess the strength of the case being made?
2: Well, look, I always said that, uh, in the interests of the truth and justice, that a fresh investigation should have been undertaken, as apart from uh, reviews, uh, a reviews and a team of detectives and a senior investigating officer who are independent should have been appointed. To start the investigation from scratch again, and the reason being that like in all fairness to Ian Bailey, whether he was guilty or not, there would be fairness shown in a new investigation and if he was found uh, that there was evidence there and represented to the DPP that the DPP brought a charge would well, so be it but in the other on the other hand, if the evidence was not there and there was no charge that 's it that 's the end of it, and also um the guards didn't show themselves over-professional in the first uh, investigation and they were criticized, uh, you know, over the years. So this would have been an opportunity for them to redeem their name. And also, it would. the public really wanted to know, did he do it or did he not? Or is there enough evidence there or is there not? And that's the bottom line. And I always believed a fresh investigation should have been undertaken. But, um, like, you know... Uh, you know, if Ian Bailey was, was innocent, which he always proclaimed he was, uh, he, he's innocent until proven guilty, and the only way he could be proven guilty is if there was enough evidence to yeah. bring to the DPP that they thought it was a prima facie case to have him charged and brought before the courts. Hmm. So that's just the way the system works, and that's why there's emphasis on the guards and their professionalism to do a, a thorough investigation, because I believe, and it's just my own thoughts, that... It was a very solvable crime and it should have been solved. And, uh, like, you know, and the fact that it wasn't, and the manner in which the guards conducted themselves, as came out in programs and stuff like that, uh, like, was poor, very poor. And I think an investigation from scratch a long time ago would have, let's say, redeemed their name and may well have solved the case, you know. And so at, what uh, does
1: that look like in practice, given the passage of time? How would it be investigated afresh?
2: Well, we would be investigating afresh, but you put in a team of detectives that, where they obviously will have uh, the file there that was initially the file, and they will go through uh, the statements and they'll go through. Let's say, what could it, what was missed or what what could we do, or will we re-interview people, maybe? You know they have other things to say maybe they have you know uh, the passage of time there's things they could have said that they didn't and now they're prepared to say it that type of stuff you know and um, uh, so like that's 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 and, and that the a file should be submitted at the end of the process to, to, uh, to the DPP But like the areas of, uh, uh, let's say, evidence at the time is that he mentioned it to to two people that he did it and they had come forward, some couple in a pub, and then a young guy, he was 14 or 15 at the time, getting a lift with him. Mm. And uh, they're very, 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 very important moments in an investigation. And you have to evaluate your witness and you have to strengthen what they're saying. Like, you know, you can't... uh, you know they are very very important statements because they are evidence because the the suspect has said it to people that he was sort of involved so like it's 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 uh but you have to sort of uh, copper fasten these type of uh potential evidence like you know
1: and when uh, somebody says it when there is an admission Sometimes in the past, for instance, people have admitted to crimes they didn't do, whether it's braggadocious reasons or bravado, whatever. Um, What else needs to align with that to make a prosecution?
2: Well, you have to look at the witnesses themselves and how stable the characters are they. And, uh, you know, uh, are they believable? Uh, uh, I had it, look, I've said it in my book there with... The Marilyn Winn, uh you know, investigation, murder investigation. She, we had witnesses who saw her on the day after she had been murdered, which which they couldn't have had. But it was only through digging down deep about these witnesses that we discovered that the witnesses were actually at work at the time they believed that they had seen her. So, like, uh, that's what you have to do. Like, you know, you have to you have to dig deep to to uh, you know verify if the witness statement is correct or not correct. You know. And uh, so it's just not a case of taking a statement and saying, oh, yes, we have that. That's great. I'd never do that. You just, you have it, but you have to work around that then, like, you know, because you will be caught out in court, like, and you will be caught out down the line, like, you know, if you don't hammer it home, like, if you don't prove what's what's been said, like, you know, uh, it's 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 a uh, it's fascinating area, but that's, I'm just telling you what, what, is involved mm. in an investigation and what you need to do as an investigator. But um, Well, her family you
1: know. still crave justice. They still crave yeah. answers. They have a verdict in France, obviously. They would prefer one in Ireland. Because yes. Mr. If, Bailey has died, just because the chief suspect is no longer here, does that preclude the Gorthy from looking at it afresh as you've described?
2: No, it does not. And uh, it 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 would, uh, even if they file at the end of the day, would point the finger as Ian Bailey and he's now deceased. The DPP can then uh, look at it and say, yes, uh, you know, we could bring a charge against him, but in the, in the light that he's now deceased, the matter is finished with it, you know. But at least they would uh, see that he was a person that could have been charged with the with the murder, like you know. So I think that would put it to rest once and for all, like you know.
1: Mm. And as you said, he always maintained his innocence. Uh, different papers yeah, have yeah. taken a different line today. The Irish Daily Star, quoting his last interview, in which he wanted people to hear that he didn't do it. Anyway. Yeah.
2: Well, look at uh, yeah. Look at there. There the, the were things about the about him and about that, like you know, with prick my ears up like you know the fact is that he courted the media like the same as joe Riley courted the media he he uh i've had uh, a few murderers that have had have said it to other people and uh, like you take anthony lamb who who, who, who uh who, who murdered irene white he had said it to two people that he killed her but it was only through our investigation from 2010 on after a Garda review that we were able to see into these and let's say pan them out further and as a result of that we were able to obtain statements and find these Mm. people and uh, um, so so there is a tendency for people who do things like that I think it's a justification in their own mind like Joe O'Reilly admitted to Rachel's friend that he killed her but he was in a dream he was doing it so that is not evidence like you know but it was a justification from self to 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 you know maybe feel better about what he had done like you know yeah, yeah, and, yeah. it's a red flag regardless when
1: people start yeah, doing red, that
2: yeah 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 and there's there's other things like you know so like I I'd, I'd have my suspicions about Ian Bailey absolutely but uh, it's no good having uh, you know or or to say he did you need evidence and you need it hard and fast and you need it there. In either whatever format it takes, whether it's technical evidence or, or or witness testimony or whatever, like you know, you need that, like you know. And then you have to paint the picture for the DPP, and then it's up to the DPP to decide. Then, like you know, and they are they're very very professional. The DPP and they don't make decisions willy nilly, like you know. They 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 they, they you know they, they they look at all the evidence and they look at all the you know, the connotations in respect of evidence, like, you know. So that's why it's very important for the investigator to get it right first, Mm. you
1: know. Pat, appreciate your time. Thank you very much for taking the call today. No problem, Will, thank you. Former Detective Inspector Pat Murray.
0: Here with the news and views that you can use. Midlands Today. Midlands 103.
1: Hardly a day goes by. That you don't pick up a newspaper and read headlines about somebody having died on the road or a new enforcement measure being considered. And, well, today, for instance, the Irish Independent indicates how County Kildare, in just over three weeks, has equaled its road death toll for all of 2023. And it says Junior Transport Minister Jack Chambers is vowing to enforce a tough crackdown on learner permit holders in 2024. But let's take a look a little further north and away from the topic of enforcement, funnily enough, to how the Scandinavian countries have managed to turn the tide on road deaths by focusing on design as much as anything else. Geraldine Herbert had the story in the Irish Independent last week. Geraldine, thanks for making time for us.
3: Good morning. The
1: concept of Vision Zero came about in 1997, with the goal of eliminating all road deaths and injuries, which was perhaps a very lofty ambition. But how did they set about doing it?
3: Yeah, I suppose I'm not sure there's a there's a clear understanding of Vision Zero in Ireland. I think we have this idea that it's some airy-fairy notion of zero deaths, but it is actually evidence-based. And it's, it's, I suppose there's two key concepts to it, really. The first is that humans make mistakes. So when they do, we need to minimize the damage that can be done. And secondly, that the human body can only tolerate a certain impact. So, for example, if we have a road in the city centre where we're sharing it with, you know, we have motor, we have cyclists, pedestrians and cars. Hmm. We set the speed limit to the lowest, I suppose that the maximum amount that in a collision, a pedestrian outcome will will be positive or favourable. So that is 30 kilometres. And then we can set higher speeds, obviously, on higher roads. And also in Sweden, they don't, um, if there isn't a a median barrier between two lanes of, of, of traffic, they don't set speeds above 80 kilometres because, again, we know from research in a head-on collision, no matter what sort of a car you're driving, if you're doing speeds above 80, the chances are you're going to be killed. So it's all of those sort of things. Speed limits are set in terms of the design of the road and also what the body can tolerate and the best possible outcome for a human.
1: They've introduced what are called two plus one roads and I've encountered these in the UK I think in Northern Ireland I'm trying to think if we have any here in the Republic but you might explain the principle for anybody who hasn't come across them
3: Yeah I think for some reason when I I was doing some research on this they were trialled in Ireland Um, in the early 2000s but for some reason and I think in only certain aspects of the country but for some reason it was decided that they weren't um, they weren't suitable for Ireland now for whatever reason I just I don't know but they've been hugely successful in um, Sweden and they've actually they're credited with reducing the number of fatalities and serious injuries by 50% Um, so it's essentially just two lanes of traffic and then a third going the other side and basically it's to allow for safe overtaking but again the big thing with Swedish roads are these barriers if they don't have the barriers then they don't, you know you cannot set a speed above um, 80 and in fact in Norway it's above you can't set a speed above 70
1: The logic being then that if there is a barrier a car cannot cross into the path of another and create that cumulative impact of let's say 80 kilometres in one direction 80 kilometres in another that's 160 kilometres of impact um, and I'm trying to think Do we have, apart from dual carriageways or motorways, do we really have any such examples here?
3: Yeah, I don't think we do now, to be honest. And that's why, again, with the Swedes, I mean, and all of the, Nor- the, the Norwegians and the Danes and all of them that I spoke to, I mean, they're well aware of the fact that this takes planning, it takes years, it takes decades to make your roads safe. But in the meantime, if you don't have those provisions on your roads, you just set a lower speed limit. So that is the way the Scandinavians view it. So in, in, in Ireland, I suppose, we're moving towards that now with the review of speed limits. And I suppose, you know, that is the the Division Zero way to go. If we cannot change it through engineering, we change it through lower speed limits.
1: Because many roads simply wouldn't be wide enough to either add the barrier or the additional lane for overtaking. So hence, the lower speed limit would make sense. There are some roads, perhaps the former, um, what have now been replaced uh, with motorways, the likes of the old N7, the old N6, which would have the um, the hard shoulder on either side, good wide carriageways, there may be an opportunity to repurpose those. For us to do this in Ireland it's going to require a huge amount of investment though.
3: Yeah, I mean, absolutely, and that was the one thing when I spoke to the Danes, they said that. I mean, as I said, it doesn't happen overnight. There's no quick fix. But I think in terms of, if you look at the introduction of motorways in Ireland, and if we go back to the 1970s when we had 600 and something in 1972, I think it was 642 people died on our roads, there's, there's many reasons why we reverse that trend. And a lot of it is to do with you know, stricter drink driving and safer cars, but it's also safer roads. So we know when we built motorways, the impact that had so, I mean, you know, there is, there's, there's, there's a long example of when if you make safer roads, you do improve um, at the numbers of road fatalities. There's no doubt about that. So, so roads are, are, you know, it's money well spent, really.
1: That's a question I neglected to ask you. How much impact as far as fatalities did Vision Zero make?
3: Well, they have literally cut their deaths in half in, in Sweden. And I mean, the plan is obviously to get to have it again by 2030 and to reduce it to zero by 2050.
1: And are they consistently making these gains or are they having blips? Because we in Ireland would have reduced our road fatalities quite a lot as well since 1997. We've just seen a reversal of trend in recent years.
3: Yeah, um, I think in Norway and Sweden they continue to to reduce them. Denmark have had their own They've kind of, they had a kind of period of stagnation where they didn't really do a huge amount. And they still have speed as a big issue in Denmark. And they're all, I mean, you know, there is no quick fix across um, the Scandinavian countries, but definitely that emphasis is different. And in Sweden and Norway, they are making big gains. I mean, in Norway, they actually managed in Oslo to have um, one year where they had no um, vulnerable road users killed in their city. They did the same in Helsinki. So, you know, that proves that, you know, if you can have a, a, an entire... Calendar year where no no vulnerable road user dies in your city centre that shows you that you know that these measures can work they really can.
1: Geraldine, the article is still available online at independent.ie. Thank you very much for your time.
0: Thank
1: you. Good morning. Now, still on the agenda today, bus. Aaron is admitting its electrical bus services in Athlone are not working out. Quite as planned, particularly during the cold weather, during which the batteries aren't as efficient. More on that a little bit later, but I'm just curious, if you've used the electric buses around Athlone, have they got the heating on? Rory Cowan bows out of Dancing with the Stars. He's the first to fall this year. And you meet the personal trainer from the Midlands who decided to eat an item off the McDonald's menu every day for two weeks. We'll find out what happened, but also why he reckons many Irish personal trainers are not as supportive as they should be when it comes to their followers. When you call 0818 is my number, you can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 especially if there are still hazards in your area following Storm Isha, if there are trees down... If there are power lines down, even more serious, and if you're still awaiting power to be restored, powercheck.ie is a site in which you can see what's happening in your local area. We'll get a general picture from ESB Networks in just a moment. But first, Alan O'Reilly joins us. He's a forecaster with Carlo Weather. Morning, Alan. Morning, Will. How are we doing? My goodness, Storm Isha packed a punch. How hard did the wind blow, according to your readings?
4: Yes, it certainly did. The top official gust was 137 kilometres an hour at May's Head. But a Mayo Sailing Club had a weather station, a very high standard weather station near Clue Bay or in Clue Bay. It recorded a gust of 150 kilometres an hour. So there was really strong gusts, but there was also very strong sustained winds, which reached red level criteria at I think five stations. And I think what was unique about Isha was the fact that the strength of the winds came right across the country. And I think just the, the website you mentioned there for the ESB power check, if you look at the number of outages and that, you can kind of tell that the outages are right across the country. Karen Kilkenny escaped the worst of it, and that's kind of clear to see on that map. But really everywhere else has a, had a really bad impact and some really... Strong gusts and sustained winds right through the evening and into the early part of the
1: night last night. Well, I recall with Storm Debbie back in November, for instance, you could see a a track across the country as the storm did its damage. But then there were vast areas above and below that were unaffected. What was the nature of Storm Isha that made the damage more widespread?
4: Yeah, well, it was a very intense storm and it was still developing and a track to the northwest of Ireland. So really, it was it was kind of the strength and the timing of the of the storm hitting. It came right in across the country and didn't really lose its punch, as the fellow says, because it was still deepening out to the northwest of Ireland. And it really did bring the strong winds right across the country. And even, you know, earlier in the day, it was still very strong. So there was a lot of disruption to flights at Dublin Airport, Cork Airport, there was a lot of people ended up in different countries. Never mind different airports, um, depending on where the flight was coming to and going from. But it also brought some very heavy downpours and some local thunderstorms, with the possibility of a tornado possibly reported, um, in Loud between Loud and Mead, um, with some heavy downpours there on the on the radar and also lightning strikes and and some local reports possibly saying that it was a tornado.
1: Wow. And I presume by now the worst is over. What's coming in its wake?
4: Yes, the worst of storm has cleared, but it's still a very windy day out there. But there will be sunny spells and showers. Now, some of those showers will be particularly nasty. But we have another system coming towards us for tomorrow evening. So a new yellow weather warning has been issued for the entire country, but varying times. For the Midlands, I think it's 5pm. That comes into effect tomorrow evening some very windy weather again tomorrow evening and tomorrow night and also some heavy rain tomorrow. So another system coming along. So unfortunately, you know, if if there's maybe bits of sheds and different things that are loose, this good time now if you can try and get out either today or tomorrow to secure them before the next strong winds come through. And given the scale of power outages, I think it's, it's probably likely that some people would be without power going into, you know, tomorrow evening even. So check on the elderly and vulnerable people that are without power because they could be without it for a while. And as I say, there is another system coming. And it's not nice to be sitting in maybe tomorrow night listening to that wind and rain again without electricity. So, um, yeah, it's not particularly good, but Wednesday will see an improvement. So Wednesday will be a better day and Thursday and Friday, not too bad.
1: And I suppose as well, any. evidence of trees that are on the cusp of blowing over loose branches, make sure you report it to your local authority. Don't assume they'll see it because they will be out in force over the next 24 hours trying to clean up after storm Isha. Alan, grateful for your time. Thank you. Thanks, Will. And indeed, you'll hear from uh, and Duffley County Councils and uh, hopefully Westmeath County Council indeed as the day goes on as to what sort of operations they have underway this morning. Busy crews at ESB Networks, where Siobhan Wynn is regional manager. Morning, Siobhan. Morning. We know at the peak, you were looking at 235,000 homes and farms and businesses, all without power. How much progress have you made in the last few hours?
5: Yes, yeah, so we've made some progress. Uh, we've now got just over 190,000 customers without power across the country. As you said, it did impact now the whole country, Although the west and the northwest were worst affected, every part of the country has been pretty much hit by this storm.
1: And powercheck.ie is a website customers can use not only to find out uh, what update for their area applies, but also to report any outage that you may not be aware of. What's the picture in the Midlands as opposed to the rest of the country?
5: The Midlands, yes, like the, like the rest of the country, has been hit. So. We do have a large number of customers without power in the Midlands, um, so particularly, I suppose, on the, the western side of the, the the part of the country, but equally so, like we've, Leash, Offaly, Mead have all been affected also. So, again, I suppose no part of, of the country has really escaped this one. Just in relation to, to power check, power check is, is a great way to check, as you say, on whether, you know, the status of your outage, but also, you can report an outage on Parcheck. So, we'd, again, we'd really encourage people if they're aware of faults to report them on Parcheck.ie, or alternatively to contact. If it's an emergency, contact our emergency number on the one eight hundred three seven two nine 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 number.
1: I noticed, all right, when you mentioned further west, around Athlone and heading northwest up towards Rosscommon and and beyond, that seemed to be bearing the brunt of the storm at one point last night. How long have your crews been on duty now?
5: So we we began planning for this event yesterday and we're putting our plans in place. So our crews set off a first light this morning. They've been deployed in all parts of the country. Um, We've also now drafted in additional resources from our contracting partners. So they are being deployed to the worst affected areas now over the course of the morning as well.
1: And what would be your plan? And bearing in mind what Alan said earlier about another risk of gusts tomorrow, when might you hope all customers will be restored?
5: So it's difficult to say, I suppose, just right now. A lot of our work this morning is going to be getting out and assessing the damage on site, responding to emergency calls, making the uh, the line safe. We will be restoring customers, as we have already restored some. um, But given that we had over 235,000 customers out overnight, this is going to be a multi-day event Um, so, you know, we're not going to get everybody back tonight. That's that's the, the real position. So we will be working to get as many back tonight, but there will be customers without power now, tomorrow, and possibly then the day after.
1: Well, please extend our thanks to all of your crews and I hope they stay safe in the hours ahead. Siobhan Wynne from ESB Networks. Let's take a look around the individual counties and what your local authorities have been dealing with. Barry Lennon is a senior engineer with roads in Offaly County Council Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Will, and to you and all your listeners. I know, for instance, uh, in my own area, the Crane Road in uh, near Clonbalogue, there was a tree down, there was another tree down around the Balnagar area, we heard. Uh, was that the nature of much of your work this morning?
6: Absolutely, yeah. So, obviously, we're currently working with our colleagues in Angardish Econ and ESB and implementing our severe weather response plan. And we've reports of approximately 30 to 40 fallen trees or excessive debris across the, the whole county blocking roads um, and we're currently have crews deployed to most of those sites, assessing those sites and clearing those sites. So, look, thankfully, you know uh, a majority of those uh, reports are now clear.
1: And um, if so somebody, for instance, and we, we, you may not have heard the forecaster a moment ago saying that there's another yellow alert for tomorrow, more gusts on the way. If somebody notices a precarious tree, uh, branches that may fall further, what's the best way to report?
6: Oh, please, let's just report it to the County Council. We'll, we'll uh, deploy a crew and we'll clear it and we'll, we'll remove the risk before it can get, it's realised. Um, look, we're asking everybody out there, just all of our, our stakeholders, to just, whether there's a fallen tree, to report to ourselves, to the local authority. Uh, uh, do not try and clear it yourself. Do not uh, action it and uh, we, we'll
1: take care of it. So, for motorists planning a journey today, what roads are currently impassable?
6: So, currently within Offley, it's just a Clement Road here until the Moor is closed. And um, we have uh, a number of farming trees lined up against the ESB line. So, currently we're working with our colleagues in the ESB and in Gordish um to clear that. So, there's a road diversion uh, in place at the moment. Uh, that's the only road closure in County Offley. There's a closure then in, in County Westmeath on the N62, which will affect traffic coming to and from Offley as well.
1: Barry, thank you very much for your time. Good way of bringing into the conversation Damien Grennan from the road section of Westmeath County Council. Damien, that's an uh, event on the N62. Can you tell us more?
7: All your listeners as well. Yeah, similar to my colleague there in, in Offaly, uh, we experienced a, a lot of issues last night with trees falling across the road network. Uh, in particular, the N62 between Athlough and Ballinahown, we've had to put a road closure in place where we've had uh, air-com poles dangerously leaning over the road network. So we we were working with our colleagues in air to, to get the road reopened as, as soon as possible. But we have a diversion route in place and we, just, we would ask all road users to follow the diversion route until we have that, that issue cleared.
1: And would you expect it'll be resolved today?
7: We, we would hope to have the road reopened before close of business this evening, Will, yes, if not sooner.
1: OK. And otherwise, the nature of damage done, is it much, as we've heard, trees down, um, things of that nature?
7: Yes, well, mainly trees down. So at at its peak, we kind of had reports of between 50 and 60 trees down across our road network, uh, across the N4, uh, across a number of our regional roads and a number of our national secondary roads. We've had particular problem areas up around Collins, Town, Caloocan, Delvin, Glasson. Um, again, our, our crews were out since early yesterday, even they were deployed and where it was safe to do so, we cleared what we could and uh, we're clearing the remaining this morning. So most of those roads and routes are, are now reopened. Uh, And again, if I can echo the the, the previous message there, anybody travelling today uh, on our road network, we just ask everybody to exercise extreme caution. There is a lot of debris on the road network from fallen trees and from wheelie bins, etc., etc. So really to kind of expect the unexpected. Yes,
1: and the nature of Murphy's Law, it'll be in a dip or it'll be around a corner. You won't see it until you're practically on top of it. So slow down. Uh, Appreciate your time, Damien. Thank you. No problem, Will. Damien Grennan of... Westmeath County Council. And finally then to Paul McLaughlin, Senior Engineer in Roads of Leash County Council. Paul, I believe the further south-east you were, the less the storm affected, but I presume you've been busy nonetheless.
8: We have, Will, yeah. Uh, Good morning, we certainly have, yeah. I suppose, look, we started yesterday uh, in advance of four o'clock was our first call-out while we were still in uh, what would be yellow warning uh, conditions uh, in Dorosaw. Yeah, albeit all uh, southwest uh south was the worst worst area. We had, I suppose, in excess of 20 call-outs uh, from yesterday's and then overnight. Uh, good spread across the county, uh, everywhere from uh, from Port Arlington to uh, Strad Valley to uh, Port Leash, uh, Abbey Leaks, Ballacolla. Uh, you know, we had, we had a good spread across the county uh, last night. And predominantly, like my previous colleagues there, it was fallen trees across the roads and uh, some uh, utility poles in locations as well mm. uh, happened to fall uh, on the road.
1: I would have hated to drive across the windy gap in Strapoli last night. I'd say it was fairly hairy. Are all roads passable this morning?
8: Yeah, our our assessment of the road network this morning, anything that was reported uh, yesterday and overnight, uh, has been cleared. Again, couldn't uh, agree uh, any further uh, with my colleagues there in relation to, I suppose, the the secondary network or or the county road network in that, you know, uh, some of these roads would be lesser-travelled roads and people, uh, maybe as they make their way back out this morning after the rough conditions overnight, may find some of the more rural roads. But nothing that has been reported to us is currently outstanding. Uh, Lads worked into the night and uh, out of first light again this morning to uh, clear those roads.
1: A caller is asking if they come across a tree that's down and they move it to the side of the road, will it eventually be removed or is it left there? What's generally the procedure?
8: Generally, any obstruction or you know, or possible um, solid structure like that, like a tree on, on the side of the road, would still present a hazard. So we would, we would urge people to anywhere for that, where people have taken action to clear the road network up where they're aware of a uh, fallen tree um, to advise us of it because if someone was to leave, leave the public road or might not see it in the verge, you know, it could cause issues. So certainly can make the report and uh, we, we'll, we'll attend to it. Excellent. Paul McLaughlin, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Will.
1: And that concludes our roundup of the three counties and very similar picture, trees down, but uh, apart from the N61 and uh, one or two other examples, Clonminch and Tullamore, the roads are back open again, thanks to all of the local authority crews, to the ESB crews, to all the emergency services for being on standby and they're in our hour of need.
0: It's time for the latest Community Diary with Tommy Solicitors at Loan, one of the largest, longest established and most respected firms of solicitors in the Midlands.
1: Mullingar Order of Malta is hosting a recruitment evening on Wednesday, the 24th of January, 8.30 in Column Barracks. And the idea, if you become a volunteer with the Order of Malta, you don't need previous first aid experience. You will receive full training and for more information, talk to Colin on 087 943 0954, or check out Order of Malta Mullingar on Facebook. Leash Leisure is holding swimming lessons in Port Arlington. You can pre-book from the 22nd of January, or call reception on 057 864800, or indeed check out Leash Leisure Port Arlington on Facebook. Sweets in Kilbegan. that's the South Westmeath Employment Service. They're holding a free nine-week women's development programme. And it runs three hours a week from Thursday next the 25th until Thursday the 21st of March. And it's free to any woman over 35 living in County Westmeath. And the key topics include personal development, goal setting, digital skills and interview techniques. You can call 057 9332030 for more details. Shootin' Stars are holding a table quiz in aid of Special Olympics this Thursday, 8:30, Annbrook House Hotel in Mullingar, with lots of prizes. And a table of four is only 40 euro. Finally, for now, creative writing workshops for children will be held Sunday, the 4th of February, from two until four. And it's a six-week program for children aged 8 to 12 years. The venue is 4 Bastion Street Athlone. The cost is €90. And if you'd like to know more, contact Niamh on 086 362 3971. Or if you can't remember the number, just check out Creative Writing for Children Athlone on Facebook. Or indeed, go to midlands103.com, recap any of these details. And if I miss something happening in your area, call 0818 300 103.
0: The Community Diary, with thanks to Tormy solicitors, experienced in the areas of law that affect people on a day-to-day basis. Tormi's.ie. Love the Midlands? Love Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Midlands
1: 103. If you're on TikTok, you can pick up the phone get access to probably thousands of personal trainers worldwide. Most of them have muscles in places I don't even have places. And they are of differing, differing personalities. Some are very unforgiving. There's one guy. Yeah, here he is. Uh, basically, he looks like Conan the Barbarian. And he tells you to go to the effing gym. Only not so nice. Uh, then there's another guy who can't remember his name, but you'll know who he is, Usheen Mulligan. He's always uh, coming up with little rhymes while he's trying to be swole and he's... Uh, <laughs> I wish I do. I actually don't know who it is. Oh, I'll, I'll find him in a minute. I'll find him in a minute. But there are just so many of them. Yeah, we some, don't leave you alone. <laughs> and some of them are likeable and some of them are not so likeable. Now, Usheen is from Athlone. He was featured in the Irish Independent last week, along with some other Irish influencers who, for whatever reason, maybe it's the likable Irish personality, are building up big followings of their own. Um, And what made your name, we have to go back two, three years for this, you decided
9: you would do an experiment. Tell us more. I did. So... Um, main aspect of the experiment was to prove to people that there's no such thing as good and bad foods and people listening to the the show here might be like what the hell is he on about of course there's bad foods Mm -hmm. there's McDonald's which is exactly the one I went to target So I said to myself, I was going to go eat McDonald's for two weeks and prove to people that I could lose weight, not only lose weight, but not have a negative impact on my overall health because it was only a small part of my diet or a small part of my year. A lot of people would have, say, a takeaway or a meal out and then just say, oh, sure, I've ruined everything. I give up. I'm a bad person because I've had this. And it's mainly actually got to do with the stories that they tell themselves inside their head rather than the food that they're actually consuming. So for most people, when they eat McDonald's instantly, they're like, I'm bad or I haven't I can't do this or I'm fat is mainly the story that people tell, tell themselves. What you need to realise is you're not fat you have fat. And if, say, Floyd Mayweather, everybody knows him. World famous boxer. Mm. If he's eating a burger, he's not a negative or bad person. So what I decided to do was two weeks, go eat McDonald's every single day. I ended up losing about two and a half kilos. Now, I can't fully remember because it was about two years ago, but if you search it up, if you look up Ushin Mulligan, personal trainer, McDonald's, you'll see it. Um, I had everything on the menu, so I proved carbohydrates weren't bad, sugars weren't bad, because I went and had a McFlurry, I went and had a packet of chips every single day or fries every single day, and I was still okay with that. Um, Obviously, I wouldn't recommend people have their whole entire diet or do this over a long, massive period of time, but it goes to show having, on an occasion, a takeaway or a meal out um, isn't going to harm your overall progress. Yeah, but back up, back up, back up, back up.
1: (laughs) What are you doing during the day to burn off those foods?
9: Okay, so I think people make the mistake of thinking that you have to do a load of exercise in order to burn off more calories. If you think about how long we actually spend in the gym on a daily basis for most people, what, half an hour, 45 minutes, you're not going to burn a huge amount of calories. Actually, what happens is our body burns calories just by staying alive. It's called our BMR, basal metabolic rate. If you were in a coma, like and you were in a hospital, they would have to feed you a certain amount of calories to keep mm. you alive. So this is where like 80% of our calories are burnt. And even me here standing talking to you, where I move my mouth, move my hands, my brain is thinking, that's using a lot of calories. And most of our calories are actually burned by that. So I actually didn't do any additional really exercise. I kept doing my three days, four days a week jujitsu. I just controlled my overall calorie intake. I made sure I was eating slightly less than my body required on a daily basis. And so I was losing fat alongside it. And it's basic science. So it's called the law of thermodynamics. Essentially what happens is Uh, energy can't be kind of just dispersed it has to be um, transformed What age are you? I'm 25 Yeah you see your (laughs) metabolism is still fiery Actually fun fact as well your metabolism doesn't slow down until after your 60s and a majority of that actually comes from your lack of ability to move around as much Really? Yes, scientifically proven, if you look it up. Why do hangovers get worse? I don't know. (laughs) I don't drink, so I
1: don't know. (laughs) Because there are people listening now who will swear that at different stages, through their 20s into their 30s, or in my case, into the 40s, you notice you can't get away with what you used to get away with. Now, the easy blame is perhaps metabolism. The more difficult conversation is around how have you changed your lifestyle? Are you as vigorous in the gym as you used to be? What would be your suspicion then as
9: to yes, what's going for on? For most people, it's actually just got to do with more responsibility. I'm 25 years old. I don't have a huge amount of responsibilities. It's easier for me to look after my nutrition, not stress, eat as much, not binge, eat as much. And I have more knowledge. I think a lot of people lack knowledge around nutrition, specifically in Ireland, because a lot of the stuff that we would have been told before was like carbohydrates are bad mm. or... ETC Like certain foods are bad. So once you kind of get that knowledge but also the understanding um, that we're all human beings and we have more responsibilities as we, as we get older. So your body isn't going to stay the same. If you have four or five kids that you have to look after and put an energy into everybody else, you're going to have less energy for your cup of I'm looking after myself and therefore what's going to happen is you will gain a little bit of weight. I don't think having a certain amount of body fat is actually bad. I think having too little body fat is a very negative thing and it's important that we are all okay with our bodies because the more that we focus on that we're fat or I'm not happy with who I am, Every single thing that you do in the future is gonna give you evidence of that. For example, as I pointed out, Floyd Mayweather, he goes to the McDonald's and he has a burger, he doesn't care about it because he's an athlete. He sees himself as that. He becomes that person. But for most people, it's like I'm fat, I'm this, and you get really overwhelmed and you really focus on your body. Like people who stand in the mirror and look at themselves all the time are more hyper-focused on how they look. And so it makes more negative kind of impact on them as they go to the shop. They're more pinpointed, oh, I've eaten this, I've done this wrong, or I'm not that good of a person. And it just highlights it. I think a lot of people, if we remove the focus, focus on our body and we more start to focus on how we feel and everybody would get on so so much better focus on how the foods are making you feel how full you're feeling focus on um, if you're going to the food or going to the press to grab food because you're stressed or because you're not feeling great because a lot of people eat like shite for the reason of not feeling good for feeling like shite is what the reason why most people end up overeating
1: So you're speaking from a position of knowledge you've quoted a lot of different uh, pieces of research how the body works a lot of Influencers that I've come across, maybe they've trained well, maybe they've Mm -hmm. had good genetics, whatever's gone in their favor. um, But they're not necessarily academically
9: grounded in the science of what they're talking about. What's your background? Uh, So I did sports science in AIT or TUS Athlone now. Um, and just mainly talking to people, understanding people. And I was used to be 130 kilos, so I came from a place of actually being overweight, which I think a lot of personal trainers actually miss out on because they don't have the empathy there. I have been through the journey that a lot of people, maybe even have an experience, like I had to lose 60 kilos to get to, down to my lowest body weight and then understand how to actually love my body again and understand how I can actually incorporate foods and not demonize absolutely everything mm. and hate the way that I look because I had zero confidence back then. And actually a lot of my confidence and a lot of people here relate their confidence with their body when it's actually not the case how we build our confidence and become, say, more likable for ourselves or how we become more happy is actually by challenging ourselves constantly. Because I lost weight, yes, 60 kilos, but it actually wasn't that that made me more happy. It was the fact that I was constantly challenging myself. Like even doing this radio interview, really, really nervous. I hate speaking out in front of people. Yeah, I really, and I had an event there on Saturday in front of 150 in Dublin. I really hate speaking in front of people. And what I said to myself, yeah, what I say to myself is, I'm going to challenge myself because right in the moment I'm uncomfortable, but after I'm going to feel a little bit more comfortable. I heard a really, really good quote. It's like, "Be get comfortable being uncomfortable, or you're going to have to be uncomfortable while being comfortable." I like that.
1: I like that. There was a piece of research out, by the way. Yes. um, Which ladies would like? Where is it going to make? Yes. So, being more confident and not caring what others think of you. Are among the life lessons women would tell their younger selves. The survey also found learning to say no and looking after your physical health also featured in the top 10 pearls of wisdom. This research involved 2,000 women by Vita Biotics. So, not caring what others think of you. And there is a degree of that. You mentioned about being in front of the mirror, and the, some of it's narcissism, some of it's perhaps mm. insecurity. Now that you've come from that position of 60 kilos of weight loss, do you still look in the mirror? Did you look in the mirror Uh, before? What's your relationship with... Yeah, so initially
9: initially I did and I think this is why I tried to steer people away from it because initially when I was losing the weight I associated everything positive that was happening to me when I was losing weight because I was always bullied for being overweight with the scale weight going down so I was like the next lower number I'm going to be more confident the next mm-hmm. lower number I'm going to be more happy until the point I actually just started eating one chicken breast a day I would come downstairs I'd get my man to wipe everything else off the, off the dinner plate and just have a chicken breast and I have a picture on my phone that I would have brought up at the event there at the weekend and I look really, really gaunt and really, really sick to the point where like after that God knows what would happen to me if I, if I kept going. But I think what I actually started to realise it was the challenges and constantly challenging myself and pushing myself out of my comfort zone that did it. And for a lot of people here listening, you might be really, really unhappy with your body and be like, sure, I'm always focused on what can I do. Start focusing on performing. Start focusing on what your body can do and getting outside and moving around and doing it for the sake of feeling better. What I often recommend people to do, especially if they're struggling to get out and do exercise or get out and do something, write down how you feel after you'll get it done. Write down how you'll feel if you don't get it done. Write down the two of those. And if after that, you still don't want to go out and do something, that's perfectly fine. Also, reduce expectations. So for a lot of you guys who might be older or whatever and being like, look, I've put on a little bit over the last little while. It's because you expect so much from yourself. Expect to get the same out of yourself as you did 10 years ago reduce expectations okay if I get out for a five minute walk today that's better than doing zero mm. every single day you should get to the end of the day and do one positive thing or one thing for yourself sometimes the positive thing for yourself is actually just taking a little bit easier like after a long day in the studio you're absolutely wrecked from talking like to Egypt's like me all day you're probably like geez I'm wrecked today I'm just going to take a day off tomorrow I'll be okay most people can't do that most people get home and are like oh, I didn't do my exercise today and wake up the next morning and already feel negative If you're waking up already feeling negative in yourself, you have a massive hill to climb to get towards your goal. Meanwhile, if you wake up in the morning time and say to yourself, do you know what, I've just taken a little bit more rest, I'm a little bit easier on myself, I have more energy for today, you're going to start at the top of the hill and walk downhill towards your goals. So you can decide whether you want to start where you have a hill to walk over of all the negative things that you're telling yourself. And again, it's all stories. We all just create these stories of ourselves in our heads. Or else we can create a positive story of I'm more rested. Yes, I might have eaten more food yesterday, but food doesn't instantly turn to fat either. This is what people make the mistake of. Food will turn into calories. Calories are then energy for our body. And fat is just calories stored so that we can use them. So the thing is then, see it as, oh, I have more calories for today. I have more energy for today because I ate more yesterday instead of I'm fat because I ate more yesterday. Then you're more likely to take a step towards your goals rather than give up altogether.
1: Wow. you have certainly no agent. You've <laughs> an amazing... An amazingly rounded way of looking at things for somebody who's 25 years of <laughs> you've got the science in there and you've got the lived experience. And one thing that you said struck me that when you were losing the weight yourself, you were still tying in your value or your, your
9: self-worth to what you weighed.
1: How did you break that?
9: Uh, I think it was. I think it was difficult over years. I think I got to that point where I had lost a lot of weight, and I was eating the one chicken breast a day. And I think one one sport that really helped me was getting into jujitsu. So finding an actual sport that I was doing for the sake of getting better at that, and not going to the gym. Like I know mm-hmm. a lot of the guys you'd see would go to the gym lifting weights, looking at themselves in the mirror. Not saying that that's a bad thing, but I find that more you focus on the way you're looking for exercise, the of this Because think about this: if I'm saying to myself, "I'm fat, I need to get up and go to the gym," so you're going to the fat, or you're going to the gym for the way you look, or for being fat. Tell me on a day where you're tired and exhausted you're not going to get up and do that you're you're gonna get up and go to the gym. Probably not. If you said to yourself, you know what, the gym makes me feel better, makes me feel good, then I will and that was an instant moment. It was only last year when I was really suffering bad with my mental health, or it would have been even the year before, I was really really struggling and so like the way my body looked didn't actually appear to me at all. I didn't think about it. It was just like, Can I make it tomorrow? Can I make it tomorrow? And Mm -hmm. the only thing that was helping me with that was getting out on a bit of a walk, listening to my favourite music and just being with my thoughts or starting jujitsu and going to the gym and that's where it changed and that's where I was like, I need to start getting this out here to people. Because you can see it on online already, even like like I've had people message me on Instagram as young as 13, 12, 10, asking, can I get on a diet? I'm overweight. I'm being bullied from my weight. And I was like, "Jesus, you should be focusing on the things that are making you feel better because eating disorders are on an absolute rise and it's something that's not talked about half enough as well. Um, and that's what I want to try and put a stop to: is get people to stop focusing on that. And in, in the meantime, if you want to focus on your body and you want that to improve, if you stop focusing on it and focusing on the other things, it will improve as a side of so You're saying to yourself okay, go to the gym, I'm feeling better. Eventually, you're going to start losing weight from going to the gym feeling better. Yeah. You're going to eat better because of that. So leave that to decide because it becomes overwhelming for people. And I it's think- about finding the right motivation, isn't it? Yeah. People
1: obsess about their image. They obsess about money as well, materialism. Yeah. Oh, if I win the lotto, I'll be happy. If I drive the latest 241 car, I'll be happy. And usually when they get there, there's something else then they want to go higher. Yeah. So it's about setting healthy goals. Mm -hmm. in whatever aspect of life. So when you go online then and you look at the other influencers, Yes. What's your assessment of them?
9: Mm, I actually, so I, I like a lot of the message that the Irish guys have put out. I think we're all a lot of us are on the same page, which I, which I absolutely love. I do think there is a lot of toxicity out there, like a lot of um, misinformation. I don't know if I can say names here online because I sh- I shout them all out here. I do on my Instagram. So if you want to check that out? Go to Mulligan's Fitness. You'll see me all call them out. But um, yeah, no, it makes me angry. Some of the information put out, out online. There's because, an Eddie Abue. Yeah. All oh, right. Let me talk about that. If you Ed, Ed, to- for people who don't know him, Eddie. He hates sugar. Yeah, he hates, he hates everything. And he says you should basically just eat eggs. Yeah, pretty much. But what's funny about this is, right, there's not much of an uproar. And people listen to this like, oh, sure, he's just a guy online. If you were going to a doctor and a doctor was giving you the wrong medication and wrong advice, he'd be sued or he'd be thrown in prison. But yet, nutrition and exercise are nearly phase one of our health and overall health. And if you're giving people the wrong information around that... Why aren't those people being thrown in prison or sued or given out or removed from a platform? Because that information is more harmful than even a doctor prescribed medication because the reason people get prescribed medication a lot of the time is due to nutrition habits or due to um, exercise habits and that's why it makes me so angry. People actually say to me all the time, "Ushin, you're a little bit more laid back in person than you are on your Instagram. It's because when I see these people online and I think back to where I was, 130 kilos, I'm like, and I was listening to these people doing all these diets, doing all these things. And it made me so miserable. And to the point where, like, if I kept losing weight, I wasn't going to be in Midlands 103 today, like not a hope. And so that's why I want to try and change that narrative. And it makes me Mm. so angry at these people. Sometimes it's
1: hard to know if the person you're watching is the real deal as well. Liver King was one of the famous examples. He has a friend pro- as
9: well that still hasn't been caught out Carnivore MD they're both in business together but because Liver King got caught out for steroids and he didn't he's still, he's still there Liver
1: King professed that he was just eating liver very raw diet and was working out and he looked phenomenal yeah. but it wasn't natural in the end um, Mike Frank yes that's the person I'm thinking of thank you to Oshin for uh, sending that in the different Oshin. Um <laughs> Have you seen Mike Frank? No, I haven't heard of him. No. Look, look look, him up and uh, keep your phone on low. <laughs> don't be on a
9: bus with volume up. <laughs> some people would say that about some of my videos as well, I'd say. <laughs> What's next for you? I don't know. I don't know. To be honest, I'm just off the back of an event there. It's blowing my mind away. Like this has only happened in the space of a year. So this time last year, I would have only had 5,000 followers. Now I have half a million on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, which is crazy. So I brought 150 of the people I was working with together up in Dublin and I hosted a massive event. So I want to start doing more of that. When I want to try to just get the word out there as much as possible, it's good to be on the radio. Hopefully, you'll me back at some stage. Love to. Um, but yeah, no, just try to get it out there and keep going, I suppose. O'Sheen Mulligan, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much.
0: Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Keep following the stories at midlands183.com.
8: Midlands 103.
1: Catching up on a lot of your comments, Manny dealing with Ian Bailey and a caller saying the difference with Pat Murray, the private investigator you were talking to earlier, and how he managed to lock away Joe O'Reilly is that there was evidence. And for Ian Bailey, there simply wasn't strong evidence. If you're travelling near Rosanallis, the Rhin Road, I'm told, is now blocked. A tree and power lines have come down just in the last few minutes. So, care advised in that area? John, in Portleash, you were driving from Portleash to Ross Grey on Saturday and you were at 120 kilometres per hour, the speed limit, and the amount of cars passing you by was unreal. Speed has become a crazy issue in Ireland. And another caller saying, it's about time that every roadside verge was cut because visibility is so poor at the moment. No wonder there are crashes. Anyway, we'll be back to the issue of road safety a little bit later. Let's turn our attention to the United States and to a major development in the Republican race for the White House in the last 24 hours. Ron DeSantis the Florida governor, announcing that he is bowing out of the campaign and throwing his endorsement behind Donald Trump. That effectively leaves just Nikki Haley as the only viable contender to displace Mr. Trump in his race to uh, take on Joe Biden one more time. Let's find out more from Sean McKiernan, political commentator here in the Midlands. Morning, Sean.
10: Uh, good morning, Will, and good to be back on the programme. Didn't think I'd be back on so soon. But no,
1: was, indeed not. But the we nature didn't, of political events. We didn't think Ron DeSantis was going to do this. Did he have any choice? He lost by 30 points, uh, 30 percentage points to Mr. Trump in the Iowa caucus, which we talked about on Friday, given the scale of that was the writing on the wall.
10: Oh, I think so, and I, I I think there was no real viable path to victory um, in terms of the New Hampshire primary, which is coming up uh, tomorrow evening our time. Um, you know, polling in the region of seven percent had also staked a lot on the South Carolina primary, which is another month away, um, and which is the home state of Nikki Haley, and where neither he nor Nikki Haley. are are performing well against Trump. So I I think there was no clear pathway to victory. I suppose a lot of people in this country wonder about why American presidential candidates suspend their campaign. It's a phrase that they they often hear used by presidential candidates and I suppose the reason they suspend rather than drop out is when they suspend their campaigns, their delegates are kind of held in stasis so their delegates are still up for grabs potentially if they're needed again. Uh, The campaign can restart if there was some sort of dramatic development Um, like ill health or death or or some other game-changing development uh, that totally upended uh, Trump's candidacy or ended it, there's the potential to to begin your campaign again. And also because these campaigns are incredibly expensive, they attract a lot of donations, but they also incur a lot of debt. And when you suspend your campaign, you're still allowed to fundraise to to get rid of any campaign debt you you might have left over. So that's why the phrase suspend is used, rather than people Mm. saying they're quitting the race.
1: Well, Nikki Haley isn't quitting just yet, at least. She seems to have taken a slightly more aggressive line um, in her most recent event when she took issue with Donald Trump's age and, indeed, Joe Biden, asking the rally, do we really want to have two presidential candidates in their 80s? And then she went on to clarify that we need to have competency tests in Congress these are people making decisions on our national security on the future of our economy and we may all know seniors who can run circles around us but this is the most pressured job in the country and you can't make mistakes and she went on then to talk about different errors Donald Trump had made in speeches for instance suggesting he ran against President Obama when in fact it was Hillary Clinton do you think she'll gain much traction with that line of argument
10: I think it appeals to independents and Democrats who are firstly a big part of the electorate or potentially a big part of the electorate in the New Hampshire primaries because uh, the the rules of New Hampshire primaries are such that people who are affiliated to other parties can actually uh, be involved in the selection process. Um, Another thing that people mightn't be aware of is that Joe Biden is not on the ballot for the New Hampshire primaries of the Democratic Party and that is because the Democrats at local level and at federal level have had a falling out and uh, he's not on the ballot, although there is an effort to write in his name. And that is something that is actually allowed in, in elections in America, believe it or not, or some elections anyway. Um, so that effort is going on. There might be a lot of Democrats who don't feel very invested in in in, in, in that contest and, and might want to cause some mischief um, in the Republican primary. So I suppose what Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley is saying appeals to them. Um, and she has attacked both men, both, both Trump and Biden, um, a lot in the last week. I suppose that speaks to what opinion polls are saying. Opinion polls, whilst they are the inevitable nominees of their parties, um, and ultimately people will tug out and support them. I suppose a lot of Americans are not happy with this. I mean, the average age of American presidents has tended to be in the 50s and 60s, which, hmm. with some exceptions like JFK and Obama. Um, but I mean, I suppose candidates like Nikki Haley have to be careful because, I mean, American campaigns, and we alluded to this in our discussion on Friday, American campaigns are incredibly taxing. You know, the European Union that we're a member of is a 27-state union. America is a 50-state union. Uh, there's huge amounts of travel. Um, you might be in several states in one day. And I mean, you know, she caused huge upset in Iowa when she seemed to think she was in New Hampshire. So, People can have slips.
1: Yes, of um, course.
10: People can have slips.
1: And but in, it in fact, she's incredible. piling pressure on herself now not to have any gaffes or uh, she will be pilloried for them. Uh, a few people have asked and the answer is she is 52, so considerably younger than either of the two gentlemen we've mentioned. Sean, thank you for your time and your analysis. Thank you, Will. Please Sean McKiernan, once again. After the news at 11 Bus Aaron admits all is not well with its electric buses in Athlone due to the cold weather.
0: Love the Midlands. Love the Midlands
1: Thanks, Cameron. Good morning. That's still on the agenda today. Sport over the weekend. The sport that took place, at least. We'll keep you up to date on all that was happening locally. And sport of a different kind, or certainly entertainment. Father Ray Kelly shall take you through dancing with the stars, as perhaps no surprise, Rory Cowan is the first to bow twenty-four the Let's turn our attention to... Bus Aaron launched its electric bus. And unfortunately, the cold weather affects EVs of all kinds, buses, cars, regardless of size, in two ways. One, the heating has to be on more often, that drains the battery. But also the chemistry of batteries tends to be less efficient when temperatures fall below a certain threshold. Now, presumably, all of this was foreseen and there has been no impact on service. Or has there? Michael Fitzmaurice is an independent TD in Roscommon Galway. Deputy Fitzmaurice, good morning. Good morning, Will. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. What have you been told? Well, first of all, it's um, official press release uh, from
11: Bus Airden that and this wasn't the last spell in the last week or two because we haven't information on that. This is a few weeks ago where it wasn't what I would call too bad and they had to cut the service uh, services to work till in the evening, but to nine o'clock and leave them to cut to knees. Um now I've been monitoring uh, at Loam for a while because first of all I've nothing against electric or I've nothing against new technologies but um, it's the taxpayers that's paying for all of this gear. So when we do something, we need to make sure that uh, it's efficient and that it does what it says in the tank. And um, they have admitted that, uh, that uh, basically they had to cut the service uh, by an hour. Second of all, um, they're on the grid of charging because you, obviously the pressure you put on when you're charging a number of buses. Uh, they weren't allowed to charge until after 12 any night. Uh, my understanding is as well that buses would have to be changed over at 4 in the evening because they'd be running out of juice. And on top of that, there has been a lot of discontent uh, even during the summer. And I want to be clear on that during the summer, and I know we had a rough July about uh, the heating or the temperature on the bus. And obviously, if you put it up more, it takes from. But the worrying part of this is... Uh, sorry, I suppose
1: that would be in two ways. You would have uh, air conditioning on during the hot months, which would drain well, the battery, in, and then you would July, have heating on during the colder months.
11: Yeah, well, in July, we had sort of a fairly wet month, so it was coldish. So it should be more on the colder side, I'd be referring to. Um, and in relation to the worrying part about this is, and, you know, the dog on the street knows this, um, that when you use batteries for a year... Obviously the efficiency they come down to about seventy percent compared with what they were. And these batteries, the information I've been got, would cost a uh, hundred grand apiece. Um the buses are twice the price. Um, and we had little you know, Euro seven diesel buses in the loan and they were very efficient, to be quite frank about it. Um, and the worry is that why don't if if we had gone with those Buses, the diesel ones that we had we could have gone the likes of HFU hydrogenated hydrogen you'd cut your emissions by 90% and you had something that you knew was going to keep going but we are seem to be putting money into things on a test case basis um, around the country and uh, the worry is that the no more than when Minister Ryan's crew were on power before that years ago when they told everyone buy a diesel car now they don't want them to have a diesel car there's this fiasco, when he's well gone out of power, out of out of uh, being in, in in a government position. There's this will blow up as to that there'd be a better way of doing things. In my opinion, you have methane. There's you know gas. With, with, that you you have the greed, and you have it that you, it can be put into it. You have um, I know that in Dublin they're trying diesel um, or electric hydrogen. Um, now, that's too expensive at the moment, but it's, at least it's working. Yeah, well, it's quite
1: it. common in Asia and it's generally regarded as better yeah, for the, heavier think, vehicles yeah. as opposed to electric.
11: Yeah, yeah. The only thing you have to think of, like Asia's, Asia's uh, temperatures and our temperatures are a fair bit different. We come from a fairly, uh, you know, coldish, wetish climate and that that may cause problems as well. Um, and the worry is down the line, and, and I'm not, like, I've made it clear in my press release that, you know, someone that's doing 5 or 10,000 kilometres, they'd be well able to handle an electric vehicle. But when you go into the bigger vehicles, and actually, I travel up and down that road every day uh, to Dublin, and if you look at even the new, the eye lorries now, you'll see written on the back of them, this vehicle is being powered by HVO because they're, they're able to cut with the same engine being, being able to cut their uh, emissions by 90%, it's ticking that box to, uh, you know, and it's reliable. That's the one part to it. Because what I don't want is taxpayers are going out there working every day, paying their taxes, and something to go blown up in our face down the road. It's, it's look at it's intolerable, and it's reckless, in my opinion.
1: Now, I'm just looking at the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland website, and... Mm. They would dispute what you've said, that after a year, the battery in the bus is just 70% of the capacity it was when it was brand new. That degradation will take place, but at a much slower rate. For instance, Tesla, I believe, claim 95% capacity after 100,000 kilometres. Um, so are you certain the buses have degraded? Well,
11: look at the... First of all, it's not a Tesla we have. Um, second of all, it's not a we have. Thirdly, it's a bus. Okay, but are you certain bus.
1: the degradation is... Well, look, that's
11: the information I have got. And if you look at the, the rest of the stuff that I've given you, it's a press release that has been given to actually a, a national journalist. If you look at the stuff, because I talked to the journalist, they put in a query, they got the answers back. Was the, Was the service pulled? Yes, it was. Is there problems with the heating? Yes, there is. Um, Is there a problem about the charging? Yes, there is. So, like, in fairness, now I have my information fairly accurate.
1: So, you mentioned that this is a pilot and I have to play devil's advocate, that's my job. Mm. How else would we find out whether they were fit for purpose other than by having a pilot scheme? It would be different if he had pulled the trigger on electric buses for every town that might be obviously a far greater exposure for the taxpayer
11: Well the first thing I'd always do I'm at machinery uh, and uh, all our lives if a different tractor came out you'd watch someone else spending the money, be it the UK or other places we're not the only country in the world that can buy an electric bus you'd watch someone else to see no more than um, all the new technologies that comes out um, you'd you'd see at someone else's cost how to go. With machinery, we'd watch if the new tractor came out. You'd be watching to see for four or five or six years uh, how did it go and you'd get all the stats before you'd make the decisions because at the end of the day, we don't have a printing machine of money. We need to be prudent at what we do. We need to make sure that um, we achieve what we're talking about, achieve if they've signed up to it and there isn't a hope in in the line of climate targets, there isn't a hope in transport, no more than any other thing that they signed up to on this European thing, that we're going to reach those targets. I would be more inclined to think that if HVO worked and brought you over the line to 2030 and there was the perfect vehicle then in electric or the perfect vehicle in methane or the perfect vehicle in hydrogen or whatever forum that others had tried out, that others had perfected, That we would use it then as a prudent measure with taxpayers' money.
1: We talked to Stephen Grant of Grant Engineering in Burr. They've used HVO for the last year and, by all accounts, very successfully. So, what would you ask the Department of Transport to do with the buses in Athlone in light of what they've admitted?
11: Well, first of all, we're stuck with them. Like, we've been bought. That's it. There's no point in saying that we're going to be able to throw them back. But the, what we need to do is push us like this. Talk about Limerick going this way now. There's talk about other parts of the country going this way. We need to put the brakes on such way because, like, if you if if uh, like the difference is and this is the problem. If I'm a private business and I make a mistake, it's my pocket that hurts. And by Jesus, you won't be long pulling back. But sometimes in a in a fairy tale belief that things are going to work. And on top of that, we have to also address. Um, You know the fire aspect of it because I know that the the likes of double fire brigade are being trained with the likes of these. Um, But we need to make sure that we put the brakes on it until this is fully tested and proven, uh, one way or the other. And I like I'm not against things and new technologies, no way in the world of God. But I am totally against the misuse of uh, taxpayers' money on projects that are backfiring. That's what I'm totally against. And on top of that, it's a worry when you look at the grid. Um, you know, we talk about all the different uh, different types of energies that we can produce and wind and solar and all of that. Um, the problem in the last week or two, uh, that anyone will know, that once you have frosty weather, obviously the turbines aren't uh, shooting around too quick and the solar is in a bit of difficulty. So, you know... These people believe that we can nearly live in a world at the moment without food, because they're they're hitting again a farmer, or that we can live in a world without diesel. The facts are that be it gas or diesel, we'll need it in 2060 or 2070, until the technologies come on place, that we have it perfected. And I would rather let some other country that would be very affluent testing out all these nice ideas. But you have to also look at the climate. England would be more uh, more like ours, that it would uh, be them that would we'll be testing out these uh, fairy dreams to make sure that if it works, it works, and then you can move and by. But if it doesn't work, it's on their back, not ours.
1: Michael Fitzmaurice, thank you for outlining your position. Oh. He is an independent TD in Roscommon Galway. 083 30 10, 103 on text and WhatsApp if you disagree with him. Uh, certainly I expect on the affluent countries there are many who would suggest Ireland is doing rather well and perhaps should be testing different technologies. Uh, others obviously would disagree. Burr Castle Domain wants you to know that following Storm Isha the Domain will remain closed for today to allow for a clean-up. There are two large trees down Blocking pathways and also some debris has to be cleared up. But they are hoping at nine o'clock tomorrow morning to reopen. So if you're in Bourne, you normally pay a visit, spread the word. Also, met Aaron in the last few minutes issuing an orange warning for Storm Jocelyn. Now, not orange for the Midlands, at least not yet, but for counties Galway and Mayo. So that's going to take effect from tomorrow, from 6pm and finishing at around 2am on Wednesday morning. Storm Jocelyn very quickly following up on Storm Isha.
0: Whatever the temperature, Flynn Fields are the local people you can depend on to keep you warm, delivering throughout the Midlands every day. Flynnfields.ie.
1: Caller asks, Will, the electric buses, were they not built to facilitate the streets of Athlone? Hmm, I see it myself all the time, says this text from Phil. They're usually broken down. They're stuck in an area that wasn't fit for them. Nobody can pass. The buses seem to be wider than the streets. I don't understand why Athlone was selected, says Phil. Caller says they would be a very confident driver, Would go out in a lot of weather, but yesterday evening at around six o'clock in County West Mees, between the rain and the wind, I actually had to stop. I was convinced there was some sort of tornado brewing. You weren't far wrong. There were reports of a tornado a little further north towards Louth and Meath. So perhaps you were in the melting pot as that was forming. Moll asks, in regard to road deaths, has a survey been carried out as to where most fatalities occur? Motorways, main roads, secondary roads, country roads? Um, There have been studies and motorways certainly not, more so the local and regional roads, but also some national primary and national secondary roads as well. Will, why are landlords, excuse me, landowners, allowed to have Big, huge, and very old trees on the side of roads. Sometimes competing priorities there, I would imagine. Uh, there can be the likes of Antoshka insisting that trees of a certain age or a certain rarity be protected. And I imagine there's a balance and they should be inspected from time to time to make sure there isn't a risk of them overturning. That's if everybody has done their job, of course, which isn't assured. T.R. Dallas has been in touch. Morning, T.R. Regarding the speed of traffic on roads, he says some people are driving too slowly, causing traffic to build up behind them, and that is contributing to accidents. Indeed, failure to make sufficient progress. You're right. He adds, I do a lot of driving at all hours of the night, and it would terrorise you to see some of the things going on. Bringing down the speed limit won't solve the problem, though. We already have limits, but nobody to oversee them. So, therefore, bringing down the limit is... Only a money-making exercise, and it won't be fair to everyday motorists. Anyway, that's a summary of what we've received on various topics today. The number, if you have a comment, is 083 30 10 103 on text and on WhatsApp, especially if you were at any sport over the weekend.
0: The Monday Sports Review, Midlands Today on Midlands 183.
1: David Hollywood, our sports editor, was watching quite a lot of action. First off, in the Ladies' National Football League, starts for Westmeath, Leash and Offaly over the weekend. And the games got up and running despite the weather, I suppose just before the warnings came mm. into effect yesterday. So, summarise the
12: opening weekend for the Midlands. A weekend of disappointment, Well, unfortunately. Um, the best results being... Offaly's 1-8 to 1-8 draw against Sligo in Division 3 although considering Sligo really struggled in Division 3 last year maybe Westmead's four point loss on the road to Tyrone in Division 2 is better or Leash's four point loss at home to Donegal Donegal being relegated from Division 1 Um There's certainly contextual elements that you can find silver linings with all three games uh, but ultimately no wins across the board is a disappointing start to the league campaign for the three counties. Um, We'll have a look at Leash firstly. They're going to ultimately be disappointed with their defeat to Donegal. I think the main prerogative there heading into that game considering Donegal were dropping down was that Leach had their defence organised and that they could defend against a side who had been attacking against Division 1 teams the year previous. And they did that part of the, the objective, let's say, very well. Four points to nil at half time in favour of Donegal. Doesn't look too bad considering Donegal had the wind in that first half. The leash managers, Billy Kiernan and Tommy Devereux, were talking about how they were working a lot on set plays and short kickouts and maybe uh, how to deal with the elements uh, when it came to the game. But in the second half, they could only amass three points themselves with the strong wind. So, on reflection, they probably will be disappointed in that regard. And you can probably get that impression here when we hear from uh, Tommy Devereux and Billy Kiernan, uh, who are both speaking to Pat O'Sullivan. These two guys, of course, are the county's new managers. Uh, they were previously involved in Kildare Club football, uh, did very well over there. Um, and and they have a decent uh, and, and lengthy enough track record in the ladies game. Um, they were saying basically they're happy with elements of the performance.
11: Yeah, well, we were doing a lot of work uh, over the last two days and uh, we knew the weather was going to have an impact on the game. I thought we did very, very well in terms of uh, keeping uh, Donegal down to a low score in the first half. But unfortunately the wind and the second half just didn't work in our favour considering we had a strong wind, but we just didn't utilise it correctly and uh, it's something that, yeah, we have to look at and uh, obviously address going forward.
10: Yeah, and Billy, you had to work really hard in the first half and, and Eimear Barry, they, having the experience back there, really sewed up a few things for you because you were able to work it out and um, her experience, she knew she could get to hand them all but like Claude and Sinead and all them, they had to do huge work particularly in the first half to try and keep that ball, get it out first of all.
7: Yeah, yeah, it was really, really good. Like, uh, if you're talking about, like, Emer just dropped one kick out uh, with, the, with the big press that Donegal were putting on, that she dropped one kick out in the first half, which was an unbelievable stat, I thought. And then the girls, with the pressure they were under, because obviously Donegal had stepped up with the wind uh, in their backs. And... Um, they did step up, so the girls done really, really well and worked the ball out really well and held possession. Everything we wanted, like that was the, that was the game plan for the first half. So they done everything we wanted in the first half. Um, ran down the clock well when we needed to, took our time over stuff, and and just didn't give Donegal the opportunities that they needed to get to run up a big score with the win So we were we were actually happy enough with the first half and the way it went must be hard, Tommy, to,
10: when you look in and, and you're a player or your manager looking in and you see a big wall of players back to, to try and get around, get over, do everything. It must be really hard to work <laughs> that point. Yeah, work, I? and we, we kind of knew that,
11: especially with the weather and the impact the other was going to have. We knew it was going to be a defensive set-up straight away, and that's what Donegal did. They defended very well in the second half. You know they limited our opportunities to get a, to get a score, and uh, they played the ball a lot smarter in, in terms of slowing it down. They got their freeze, they took their freeze well, and it's unfortunately it didn't work for us in the second half.
12: Um, let's have a look at Westmead. Then their assignment to go to Tyrone on the opening weekend of the campaign definitely looked like it would be a tricky one. It's how it played out in the first half, or rather halfway through the first half, they were six points down. Uh, run of points before the break from Westmead left it at four points. And there's an insight that if they can get a run of scores against a quality Tyrone outfit, they will be a relevant and meaningful force mm. in this division over the course of the season, certainly hopefully anyway. Uh, because of that initial six-point deficit, they were always going to be chasing the game in the second half Tyrone scored a second goal, Westmeath were basically on a par, score for score, they got their own goal um, and the six point gap that was opened up initially, uh, they couldn't whittle that down. So not a great but not a bad start uh, for Frank Brown, who's the former Mayo manager, he brought Mayo to the All-Ireland Final in 2017. He's not been over county Action since, uh, but uh, yeah, he'll hope for a better day certainly. All right, well our coverage but thanks to a number of partners,
1: Reynolds Commercials in Athlone for service, quality, reliability, ReynoldsCommercials.ie and of course, O'Brien's Renault in Mullingar, exceeding your expectations with the renault McGahn e Now, there's been a fair bit of positivity around the Offaly ladies after a very difficult league campaign last year. The return of Greg Farrelly as manager seems to be popular and they had Sligo at home yesterday, so they would have been hoping for a win.
12: They would have been. And um, we had Ellie McAvoy on health and fitness uh, Friday, uh, just previous to the Sunday game. Uh, she's just been announced as the ladies captain this year. And um, she was on in the capacity of her nutrition company full on. But uh, we talked a bit about uh, the game coming up on Sunday. And there is genuine positivity about uh, the direction they're going. Uh, a lot of the time this can be manufactured or per, um, Kind of, it feels forced, as it were, because you have to say it before the start of every season. Yes, um, and and genuinely, what you, what I can speak to is a sense of sincerity. I've spoken to Greg, uh, the manager, uh, speaking to Ellie, uh, reading some of the comments in and around the camp. Uh, Things are in a much better place than they were last year, for whatever reason that that is. Um, But what manifested on the pitch, a 1-8 to 1-8 draw with Sligo, of course the other side of this equation is you just don't know, have Sligo come on in the off-season? Are they much better than they were last year? Because they struggled last year. Um, I think and I, I would hope uh, Offaly will be able to bounce back from, look, it's not a disaster, it's it's a disappointing start and it's a long season ahead. Uh, but if they can carry that positivity uh, in through the rest of the league campaign, uh, they can hopefully be a lot more secure in Division 3 and maybe, maybe even threaten promotion. Hmm. Fingers crossed.
1: Coverage of Offaly against Sligo was with thanks to Lahi Midland Auctioneers and BEOR Assessors, lahiauctioneers.ie the All Ireland Senior Club Hurling Championship final saw so O'Loughlin Gales of Kilkenny and
12: St Thomas's meet at Croke Park. So, what kind of game was it? It was. Uh, a physical game and anyone who saw Lachlan Gales against Kakoma Kalahi there in the Leinster semi-final uh, will not be surprised with that from their perspective and same with the Galway champion St Thomas um, the winning of the game though came from two things the first was how well St Thomas has reacted to going down to 14 after James Regan was sent off early in the second half you know you hear about this often when a team gets reduced to 14 men in, in, in GA or, or in rugby or 10 men in, in soccer there's this effect, a compounding effect. The other team feels pressure to do instantly better uh, and the defending team is resolved to survive because not conceding becomes an ever-developing victory and and that dynamic definitely played in with this All-Ireland final. Uh, the other reason uh, that St Thomas has won uh, was because Aina Burke scored an unbelievable shot. Uh, absolute beauty at the end of the game. He had no angle, he had no right to even consider shooting. He's right under the stand. The ball emerges from a rook. The clock has gone past the allotted injury time and um, I don't know, I, I'm not great at math, so I won't do degrees, but from a very tight angle uh, without any he can't even see it himself. He just um, smashes it over. It was it was phenomenal. The game was deadlocked at seventeen points apiece at that point, and that was the winning point ultimately. What a way to win it! Uh, the Galway clubs' second ever senior All Ireland title and their first uh, since twenty thirteen. And of course,
1: huge local interest in the football decider: Glen of Derry taking on St
12: Bridget's of Roscommon Yeah. Glenn were beaten in the All Ireland final last year against Kilmacud Croke. St. Bridget's have probably been playing the best football of uh, the club championship, in many people's eyes anyway. Um, their path through to the final has been characterised by attacking, skillful football. And I kind of feel like this. You get a lot of coverage around in in the NFL playoffs. The attacking quarterbacks and, and and flare players get a team to a Super Bowl, but it's always the defensive team that wins the Super Bowl. And Glenn, I wouldn't call them defensive because they're really brilliantly skillful. But by the same token, um you get the same outcome here. St. Bridget's lost on a scoreline of two ten uh, to one twelve in favour of Glenn. As I said, Glenn lost the All-Ireland final to Kilmaco Croaks uh, last year. They beat them in a very foggy game in the semi-final uh, this year at Croaks. And uh, Glenn then probably felt pretty confident heading into this. But they trailed Bridget's by double scores approaching half-time. It was eight points to four. Uh, just before the break, a Danny Tallon goal uh, helped kind of Completely close that gap, and then at half time, they were level. St. Bridget's again, they started well in the second, they built up a four point lead. Uh, but Glenn came back, and Conor Glass scored a brilliantly taken crucial second goal late on to seal uh, what is obviously a story of uh, redemption for mm. the Derry side. Um, Glenn's Michael Warnock was speaking to Ashling O'Reilly after the game. It's really interesting to listen to this. He, he's talking about. Um, Expectations and what he did and didn't have growing up. So, Ashling asked him, "Was it always a dream to win an All Ireland title?" Um, it, it probably wasn't, to be honest. Um, it was probably with to win the All Ireland because we didn't believe it was possible. Uh,
10: coming up with Glenn you know, we we weren't we weren't involved in competing for for senior championship. We weren't involved in Ulster club campaigns or All Ireland campaigns. But when you become a wee bit older at minor level and that and you see senior teams and you start following that and understand that god you can win all air mere club then that becomes the dream and when you lose numerous Derry Championship games you felt that it, uh, you probably should have um, uh, got through then you start questioning whether you'll win a Derry Championship and three years ago if yeah, somebody had told us would you win one Derry Championship in your career would you tuck your arm off you know so to be sitting here in this position um, three years later is just absolutely out of this world
7: yeah, that dairy Championship came in. Very and-
1: content, Michael Warnock speaking there. There was some silverware for the wider Midlands, though, over the weekend, as Longford retained the O'Byrne Cup on Saturday. We always ask this, but how much stock can you put in a win
12: in O'Byrne Cup? There's a limitation to the amount of stock that you can put into it for sure, but while it was a second string Dublin team and uh, Longford never made an impression after winning the O'Byrne Cup last year, uh, they have at least started this year winning games. They play Leash this weekend in their league opener and they're going to be one of the favourites to get back uh, to Division 3 in terms of promotion. Uh, The final score in the game is 112 to 9 points and... Yeah, it has to be said that when they were at their best last year, they were a challenge for any of the other Midlands counties. Uh, Leach and uh, Rather awfully in Westmeath came up against them in Division 3 last year and Leach will find them a very testing proposition uh, when it comes to their league opener this coming weekend. What stock can we put in it? We'll review that and give you an answer after the league campaign maybe.
1: Very good. Take a quick pause, but... In a few minutes' time, Shane Lowry made his return to competitive golf over the weekend. And in cross-channel soccer, still a winter break of sorts, but a few notable results to talk about.
0: The Monday Sports Review, Midlands Today on Midlands 183.
1: Now, if you're just joining us, David Hollywood is here from the Midlands 103 Sports Department. We move on to cross-channel soccer, where only a handful of Premier League teams were playing in the sort of staggered winter break Arsenal registered a big win on Saturday after a poor run of form
12: Yeah they really needed that they needed a big win in a number of ways they went four games without victory they conceded seven goals scoring just two like it's not a run of results that would end your title run but it can be the start of the end if it upsets the group and they lose um, confidence in subsequent games and then they, they haven't got the wherewithal to beat the big teams when they have to beat the big teams Enter Crystal Palace Ideal opposition. They've won win in 12. Their fans are turning on Roy Hodgson as they do every third year or so. Uh, Really stale and stodgy to watch. Uh, So look, you can imagine as Crystal Palace fans travelling around the country uh, watching boring, conservative and unsuccessful football. It doesn't matter who's in charge or or what experience they have. Uh, You're you're, going to get a bit annoyed at that and that's what's happening there. So... Palace tried to frustrate Arsenal but it's probably hard to frustrate a side when they score in the 11th minute and they doubled that lead in the 37th. It was 3-0 until deep into injury time and then Gabriel Martinelli scored a brace uh, and his two goals doubled his league total for the season It speaks to the issues he's been having. Uh, There was a cracker in London between Brentford and Nottingham Forest. Andrew Omabama-Daly he played really well for Nottingham Forest. Uh, Nathan Collins he was good for Brentford so positive on the Irish front. Ivan Toney returned from his betting ban to essentially win the game for Brentford. Farris took the lead through Danilo. Um, Tony equalised with like a tidy and cheeky free kick. Uh, It was just outside the 18-yard box. Uh, The referee laid the foam around the ball so as to mark where the ball is. And I hadn't seen this before. I'm sure it's been happening more often than I realize. He moved the ball about half a foot to the right and then with his hand he scooped up the foam and redistributed the foam around the ball once again. Um, So just interesting from a player who's been out of the game for... uh, the guts of eight months or whatever it was for, for this betting ban uh, not only to be physically in tune to compete and score and set up um, opportunities uh, to be psychologically in tune to cheat in such an effective way I thought was fascinating to watch um, as I said it was uh one-all when Tony scored that free kick Chris Wood made it 2-all he's having a great season and Neil Mopay, uh Mopay I should say Could not score for Everton um, but he's got six for Brentford since rejoining them and that was three points for them. An impressive win for Liverpool yesterday. They beat Bournemouth by four goals to nil. Um, Darwin Nunes and Diogo Jota uh, kind of filling in and picking up the slack for the fact that they don't have Mo Salah. Mm. Uh, He's away at the Africa Cup of Nations. Uh, But Liverpool, who are five points clear at the top of the table at the moment, they look primed and ready to push City all the way uh, to the end, but there's um, uh, barely a cigarette paper covering about three or four teams at the top of the table, which is uh, positive. Might
1: if we check in on that Africa couple of nations, actually, because there are a few big nations under pressure.
12: There are. We mentioned Mosala and uh, Egypt. They nearly lost to Mozambique in the first round last week, and we covered that. Uh, It was possibly a worse game and result when they drew against Ghana 2 all this week and that's because Salah came off injured. Now, I wasn't sure over the weekend if he was uh, going to make um, the game against Cape Verde, it's not as serious at first fear to look like he pulled his hamstring uh, but I'm reading this morning that he will not be able to play against Cape Verde this evening. Cape Verde, um, dark horse in the competition. They got to the last 16 at the last Africa Cup of Nations. It was a huge surprise uh, and this year uh, they look even better and they are very much better than the sum of their parts because, you know, you do not have a huge level of quality player spread across Mm. that team Roberto Lopez Shamrock Rovers' defender is uh, you know their starting centre half and it's just great he's actually he's not going to get to play Mo Salah now I realise but uh, he will take the fact that they've already got six points from six they're qualified for the knockouts Uh, they could top the group um, almost certainly if they get a draw here and you know you're talking about a continental tournament semi-final possibly uh, depending on the draw so that's that's really interesting Uh, elsewhere in terms of the Africa Cup of Nations Algeria have been misfiring draws against Angola and Burkina Faso mean they're under pressure uh, heading into the uh, later stages and a couple of big wins. Nigeria beat Ivory Coast. The hosts are in a bit of bother. They need a win today. And Senegal uh, were 3-1 winners over Cameroon. And uh, yeah, look, that's a clash of the heavyweights. Senegal uh, certainly in better shape when it comes to this tournament than Cameroon. Senegal also defending champions. Well, we love a good underdog story anyway, and it's a similar picture at the Asian Cup. The favorites aren't getting it all their way either. No, not their own uh, not all their own way and both of them started off with relatively convincing victories. 3-1 win for South Korea over Bahrain, um Japan beat Vietnam 4-2, uh, but in that time or rather since that time, since the first round, uh, Jordan uh, held South Korea two goals apiece and Iraq beat Japan by two goals to one. So again, they can't afford any more slip-ups. Japan play Indonesia on Wednesday, South Korea play Malaysia on Thursday. They should win those games but they should have won their last two games and they didn't. So um, again, Premier League managers will be willing on the underdogs to get their best players back from these tournaments uh, whereas we'll be doing very much the opposite I suspect.
1: Let's move on to golf and there are several listeners chomping at the bit wanting to challenge you and other learned sporting types who last week were writing off Rory McIlroy his propensity to have a brain fart his psychological fortitude or lack thereof and there he goes at the Dubai Desert Classic and he
12: becomes champion for a record-breaking fourth time so go square that circle Yes fair point fair point to anyone who would criticise on that basis what to say I mean you know, he's world number two. He's rarely out of the top five in the world. Uh, he's always winning titles on the European and PGA Tour. And there's still something infuriatingly inconsistent about him. Uh, but he's a phenomenal golfer. And he showed that particularly on Saturday, uh, where he vaulted himself back into contention with the 63 after a couple of ordinary rounds to get the competition underway. Uh, what he did over the rest of the week was what he didn't do the week previous, which is limit his errors. I think he made one bogey on the back nine when he had a three or four shot lead. And that that's encouraging because that is the kind of area where pressure has gotten to him. The one thing I would say as a qualifier here is that the field wasn't as strong as it was last week. Uh, the likes of Tommy Fleetwood made big shots on the way in. Uh, whereas this week, Adrian Moronk and Cameron Young... Kind of the opposite, um, certainly Cameron Young, who was really well placed uh, to win this competition, uh, shot a 74 in the last day, and you could tell that the pressure got to him. He's young young enough, no pun intended, mm. uh, so he he he's probably still developing that side of his game. Um, regardless of the field being strong or not, you're playing against the course and yourself, as we said last week, and McElroy saw it out. Even in his victory, though, I think you can hear certain aspects of his game are playing on his mind and you know what cost him last week was he was missing to the left and he landed in the water and a couple of times this week he missed to the left so uh, we can hear briefly from him here uh, after winning the Dubai Desert Classic
10: You know I started well last year with the win here I was a little more in in dramatic fashion on the last green compared to that there but um, it's a great platform to build from I know I'm playing good golf there's still a couple of misses off the tee left
1: Shane Lowry made his return to competitive golf in California and it was kind of an up and down time at the American Express Pro-Am.
12: Yeah third round cut he failed to pass that there uh, he bogeyed the fifth and triple bogeyed the sixth on his last round prior to that he only had two bogeys from two rounds and was looking good so hopefully um, positive season to come for Larry, the amateur Nick Dunlop won on 29 under and in doing so became the first amateur winner of the PGA on a PGA Tour event since 91 that was uh, Phil Mickelson and remember Larry was an amateur winner of the Irish Open uh, Nick Dunlop does not uh, Does not pick up $1.5 million, uh, which he would have won otherwise.
1: Wow. Okay. Let's move on to golf. And in the Champions Cup, two Irish provinces progress to the last 16, two drop down to the Challenge Cup.
12: Leinster, as ever convincing winners, uh, they beat Leicester 27-10. to 10. They'll play them now in the last 16. Munster lost to Northampton in a ridiculous fashion. They look to be in control once again and they let it slip at 26-23. They play Northampton again in the last 16. Uh, Connacht Great win, 27-10 against Bristol and um, they go into the Challenge Cup with some momentum because they were losing their way through the Champions Cup until the last game and Harlequins destroyed Ulster. Really negative from an Ulster perspective. Jacob Stockdale uh, would be hoping to fight for a starting place in the r Six Nations squad. He will likely not get that based on his performance against Harlequins there. Um, worth mentioning the AIL as well. Gary Own beat Buccaneers 33-17 to but our mm-hmm. sympathies with uh, the Byrne family it's um, uh, Pat Byrne, Paul Byrne's father. Paul Byrne's the head coach of Buccaneers. He passed away during the week, and you know, like fair play to the team for getting a team out because the players attended Pat's funeral mass that morning. The game was delayed, mm. and they were seventeen nil up at half time. So I think that you probably had that emotional drive, and then that complete kind of emotional collapse, as yeah. it were. Um, and Tullamore, they drew twenty apiece with Bruff in two C of the AIL. More sport always on
1: midlands103.com, such as you can keep up with the Portlaoise Panthers back in National Cup final action and not going their way, unfortunately. But we have to congratulate the Irish men's hockey team. They had a nail-biter against South Korea and have qualified for the Olympics. So. Lots to cover and David is the man who will be back with more sport at one o'clock. Thanks well.
0: Midlands Today with Bus Aron. Use your TFI young adult or student leap card on board Bus Aaron services as part of the Transport for Ireland network. Visit busaron.ie today.
1: Sinead Hubble the Duchess of Old Castle in tears here because Rory Cowan is out no. of Dancing with the Stars. It's terrible. You shouldn't have been the first one out. Surely. I certainly thought Rory would be in it for a good few weeks but hey that's the way the cookie crumbles. Father Ray is also with us, probably a star of Dancing with the Stars in 2020. Morning, Ray. Good morning, Will. How is the form? I'm in great form. and You, you weren't blown away last night. Just about held on. Just about <laughs> held on, I'm glad to say. So, Rory came out and he did the Macarena. And as ever, yeah. his dance partner is endlessly energetic, which does set up a bit of a contrast. But I felt he was in better form than the first two weeks. What was your opinion? Yeah, I thought so
13: too. But you could see, you know, he was enjoying it so much. I mean, I never saw anyone dancing and laughing so much on the floor together because he was just in stitches. He was enjoying it so much. And, he, he, you know, he spelled that out all the way. I was really surprised because he was really probably the entertainment package in all of the, the 11 of them, you know. Um, so I was I was really taken back that he was actually gone so quick, you know. And, and by contrast, Davey Russell,
1: night. who I think actually scored below Rory last night, yeah. he got twelve. Yeah, he and Kylie did, yeah. He
13: only got a twelve, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah Davy yeah. doesn't so, seem nearly as comfortable in his own skin. Probably
13: not. Probably not. You know, probably not. He, he They were complaining that he he needed to work on the lower body, anyway, with the hip movement, the for particularly for the Zamba you know. But interesting enough, there's that, that only three of the eleven got below 20. So which means there was eight got actually from 20 up to 25, which was a huge, very, you know, I mean, mm. so little difference between between the top eight, really, you know, um, which I never noticed before, never saw before, really, in the competition, you know.
1: Yeah, it, it makes it all the more difficult to pick an eventual winner, but it in, right, yeah. in some ways then makes it clear who's perhaps next for the chop. So Davy will be feeling well, the pressure. Eileen? Eileen not Eileen
13: maybe. But then you see Eileen, is, you know, you see they, they always used to say, and even Brian said it last night, it's the ones that are in the middle sometimes, and I, that's why I thought Rory was safe, that uh, would hang on there for a few weeks. It would be either ones at the very top, or the, the ones at the bottom were safest. And the ones in the middle or top were kind of more maybe in danger. But uh, last night didn't prove it anyway. It didn't prove that theory.
1: Let's hear what the judges had to say.
9: And on paper, this should have been a hot summer day, but in reality, it was like the weather outside the studio tonight. <laughs> oh. oh. Yes, it is. Was- you embrace it a little bit more because you have the musicality and I love you so much it brings so much
12: laughter and happiness that's all that matters
9: oh, yeah. laughter
10: like and happiness and as Arane said the right steps, I just ah. forgot to hit okay.
13: it was like one of those cheap cocktails that you get on the beach, sweet colourful <laughs> but if you had too much of it you'd probably end up with a banging headache the following morning ah, a bit here, harsh,
1: here so one judge compares ah. it to a storm and the other to a hangover hmm? <laughs>
13: Around Rory, I wouldn't say he was too worried about it anyway.
1: <laughs> no, I think when once it was over, he had no regrets.
8: I'm delighted with no. myself that I did the show.
2: Good, I've on, had you. Good on you.
8: Three fabulous dances, and I loved every minute of it.
2: <laughs> no regrets at all. I loved it. You were a joy to watch, and Gillian, your first time at yes. Dancing the Stars, <laughs> amazing. <laughs>
4: did your very best and that's all I can ask.
8: Thank you very much. You are wonderful.
1: So, Father Ray, we're agreeing that perhaps on paper or on points that Davy Russell and um, Eileen Don are probably going to feel the pinch. Have you an early favourite at this stage?
13: Aris, heard to call it really. Um, blue hydrangeas topped the poll last night so you just don't know how that's going to go. Uh, Shane and Laura as well, they, they were 24. There was Jason and Karen. I'd say Jason and Karen could be. He put on a beautiful display last night, and showing us on TV what it's like to be almost totally visually impaired and still trying to dance, mm. which was which was really 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 excellent, you know. But um, it's 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 hard to it's hard to call it at this stage that there's uh, there's there's a lot. And you suppose, like, even though Rory's gone and we've only seen him for three weeks. You forget that Rory has been working on that probably since November. So he's been involved, you know, because that's when they start rehearsals in November. So November and December, they take a week off for Christmas and then they're back into it again for TV, you know. So it just doesn't happen. He's just not in it for three weeks. Yeah, indeed.
1: Nearly six weeks before that, you know. Sinead, have you an early favourite?
5: I haven't seen enough of them because I missed the first couple of weeks Dad, things, so. that's a cop but out, obviously Colleen Dunn we, we're going to support her now yeah, our well, only connection to the Midlands now that, that the that's system.
1: true that is true Father Ray Kelly Sinead Hubble thank you both very much for joining us
13: Thank you. Take care, well. Bye. All That's right.
1: where we leave it this morning. The Duchess of Oldcastle did all the hard work and put the programme together and we're already working on Tuesdays. I say we. We I might mean, be. I mean she. We'll chat soon. Bye-bye.
0: Midlands today with Bus Erin Use your TFI Young Adult or Student's leap card on board Bus Aaron services as part of the Transport for Ireland's Network. Visit busarein.ie today.